Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is truly a blessing to be with you here uh, on New Year's Day. Happy New Year's. Happy 2023. It's so good to be with you. And, and from my own heart, this is a very special sermon to be back in the place where I was raised and grew up and be home. It's, just, it's really special. So it's an honor to be with you all today. Um, as I said, of course, it's 2023, which means 2022 is gone. And I'm sure, like, like me, it's, it, for you, it's uh, kind of contained a mixed bag uh, of different emotions, different things. I'm sure that there was good times during 2022. Maybe the times where, where, where there was weddings or engagements or anniversaries that you were able to celebrate with love and with joy. Maybe birthdays and, and, and reunions. Uh, maybe it's family get-togethers or friends. Uh, perhaps it was career changes. You got, uh, went to college or started a different career. Maybe, maybe you retired. And so there's those good things in 2022. Maybe there was new births, births of new children and new grandchildren to celebrate all together. Uh, and Pastor Tony let me know that, that, that uh, Top Gun Maverick coming out was one of his top moments of 2022. Uh, it's a pretty good movie, so I... I can't, I can't deny that, but that, that did come out, so that was pretty awesome, right? It was a good movie, and, and it was so good to, to sort of be there and to celebrate those moments in 2022 where there's that sense of joy and excitement. There's also the bad things in 2022. There's things that, that kind of made us wish that 2023 would come a bit faster, right? Maybe it was family disagreements or friend disagreements and arguments that, that separated us from a little bit. Right? Maybe it was, it was job loss or, or the inflation, which made it a lot more financially difficult to actually live. Maybe, maybe it was uh, a, a troubling diagnosis or illness that's going to impact your 2023 and beyond. Or maybe it was a death of a friend or a family member or a loved one that you're still mourning, you're still kind of processing through. 2022 had some bad moments and low moments as well, moments that made us hope that, that 2023 would come a little bit faster. My 2022 was a mixed bag, uh, like most of yours. I started off, and I, as Pastor Joe said, I was at the seminary in St. Louis, and, and it's all good classes. They're great professors, and I have good friends there. But when you're your second semester of 18th grade, you get a little ready to, to move out a little bit. You're, you're ready to move on to what I actually wanted to do, which was practical ministry. Right, that's, that's what I've, uh, my heart is in. My heart is in practical ministry. And that's what I get to do now. I'm a vicar, uh, which is a pastor intern over at Cornerstone Lutheran Church in Indiana. Um, it's a wonderful church. There's amazing pastors there that have been mentoring me and helping me to grow professionally and also personally in my own life. And I'm so excited for 2023 to see what, what, what sort of things God has planned for me, to continue to see how God is working to grow me in 2023. What we just did there, this sort of reflection upon uh, uh, 2022, right? It's natural every single time for us when there's an end of a season and the beginning of a new season to sort of reflect, to think back on what was back in the last season, especially at New Year's, right? At New Year's especially, we, we, we sort of reflect back on the previous year. And for some, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I do it with a very critical eye. Because yes, I want to celebrate the good things, the successes that are there, of course, right? There's some good things that are there. But, but for me, I'm a perfectionist. And so I want 2023 to be infinitely better, right? I want to find all those areas where I was sort of disappointed, right? Or, or I regret something that happened there. And I want to figure out what can I do, what things can I, can I change in order to make 2023 a better time? 
to make it something that's infinitely better. And I, I think this is natural in all of us. We all want each year to be better than the last year, right? We all want the, 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 the last year to be less good than this year, right? And we look forward with hope and joy towards what this, this sort of hopeful expectation, but also caution. We're trying to balance all these different things because we want 2023 to be good. And so we, we see some sorts of things. We, we see... Um, we see some sorts of patterns like posts on Facebook and Instagram that sort of try to capture this, right? That, sort of, that try to capture this sense of excitement, to capture this joy. Things like, you know, may, may your new year be filled with abundance, right? Or, or your new year will be happy. And again, don't, don't post those things. Those are good, right? They're, they're good to, to post. But I find it an interesting, like, cultural phenomenon where, where you have that. And it's almost trying to speak into existence what you want the new year to be to capture that sense of this new year is going to be happy. Another way, and I think probably the most common way that we all sort, sort of do this is through New Year's resolutions. After all, we just talked about reflection, right? Reflecting uh, upon our previous year. And so the natural next step is to set goals, to set, set uh, ideals for what we want to happen in the new year. And so I wanted to go through a goal-setting system that I actually used last year. It's a professional goal-setting system called the SMART goal system. And some of you have probably heard of this before. Corporations use this to set goals for their companies, right, in order to help narrow down the goals to achieve them so that they'll be profitable next year. And this is a system that, like I said, I used last year, and I think it's very helpful. And to do so, I want to take the example of the most common New Year's resolution, I want to lose weight or I want to get in shape, right? Those are some of the most common New Year's resolutions. But those aren't very specific, right? So that's the first uh, letter in the, the, the SMART system is specific, right? That, that, that you need to make the goal more specific so that you can actually know when it's achieved. Because I want to lose weight. I don't know when that actually is going to be achieved. So something like I want to lose 30 pounds, right? Or if, instead of I want to get in shape, I want to run a marathon. Right? I know when that goal is actually going to be achieved. And then the M stands for measurable, that I can actually measure the progress that I'm making towards my goal in some way. So if I want to lose 30 pounds, I can get on the scale every single week and see if I've lost one to two pounds a week. I can actually measure the, 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 the amount of weight that I'm losing. The A stands for attainable, right? It's, it's to, to, that you should actually set goals that are attainable. So if it's, I want to run a marathon, but you add it on there tomorrow, right? Uh, that's maybe attainable, but it's probably not good for you unless you're very in shape and then I don't know why you're setting the goal to get in shape in the first place. Um, but you want to set goals that are attainable, uh, things that you can actually reach. The R stands for realistic. Realistic in the sense of attainable, but also in the sense of relevant. Right? If I want to lose 30 pounds, I probably, like taking an art class probably isn't going to help with that vision, right? That's just, they're not connected or correlated in any way. And so setting things that are relevant to the goal. And finally, timely. You have a set timetable in there that completes the SMART acronym, which is really cute. Um, but timely, right? So I want to lose 30 pounds in 2023, right? I have a set and end date for when I'm actually going to complete this goal. And like I said, all of it should sort of help flesh out these goals and make them actually something that we can understand that are attainable for us. All right, Chris, why did we just go through a SMART goal seminar here at church today, right? The reason that, that I wanted to draw us through this, the reason I wanted to take us through this is because how many times, how I've used a system like this or a different system 
to set goals, to set all the precautions that I have in mind for how I want to reach my New Year's resolution. And how many times do I find myself three weeks into January not doing my New Year's resolutions? Back to my old habits. How many times have I, have I done all the, the project work and I set these goals and I have all the plans in place and yet I'm into February and I'm already back to my old systems. I'm not actually doing the resolutions. I've given up on them. My question is why? Why is it so hard to keep New Year's resolutions? Because if, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that these things that we're going to do, right? We, we know that these New Year's resolutions that we set, that if we do them, our lives will be better, right? If I actually go to work out more, if I eat healthier, if I get more sleep, if, if I spend more time with my kids, right, I take a little bit of time off of work, right? If, if I drink a little less, if, if I actually quit that sin I've been trying to or, or cut off that unhealthy relationship, that all of these different things are going to make our lives better. And yet, in spite of that, we, we, we also still fail at the New Year's resolutions. Why? The New York Post did a study back in 2018 and, and, uh, and, well, they reported on a study from the University of Scranton. And they found that just 8% of people actually achieve their New Year's goals. 80% fail to keep their New Year's resolutions. I don't actually know what the other 12% did, but um, the, the 80% fail to keep their New Year's resolutions. Why? What is, what, is the, the, what, what is the factor behind us not keeping our New Year's resolutions? I think the factor is actually motivation. I think motivation is the factor behind why we don't actually keep our New Year's resolutions. Wait, 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 Chris. <laughs> you did just say, right, we know that our lives would be better, right? We know that if we did our resolutions, our lives would be better. Isn't that motivation enough? And I think that, that we have, especially around New Year's, we have this sort of equation in our head that something that's healthy is also the thing that's going to bring me happiness, that will bring me joy and enjoyment. And so conversely, we, we also have this sort of equation that the things that are unhealthy in my life are the things that are going to bring me unhappiness, or the things that are causing me to be unhappy. And I think it's a lot more complex than that. Because yes, the things that are healthy for me do bring me some sense of enjoyment and happiness. But, but the things that are unhealthy are also at times the things that bring me happiness. To use the example of the, the wanting to lose weight, right? I do get joy out of going for a run, but I also get joy out of sitting on the couch eating potato chips and ice cream watching my favorite TV show, right? It's, it's interesting that sometimes it's the very things that we need to change the most, that we know we need to change, the things that actually bring us the most pain, that are the same things that bring us the sick sort of twisted enjoyment or pleasure that we get out of it. I'll put it a different way. Uh, uh, the, it was a conversation I had with Pastor Scott Geiger. He's the senior pastor over at Cornerstone. And we were having a conversation about people and, and change. And, and this was a, a quote that he gave me, and I thought it was so impactful. He said, a lot of times when people say, I want to change, they actually don't want to change. A lot of times when people say, I want to change, what they're actually doing is they're lamenting the fact that they like or are comfortable with where they are at. I'm going to say that last part one more time because it's really deep. A lot of times when people say, I want to change, they're actually lamenting the fact that they like where they're at or they're comfortable with where they're at right now. 
And I see this a lot, especially in my New Year's resolutions, right? When I, when I say something like, I want to lose weight, what I, I'm actually doing is I know that I can be healthy, right? I know that I can lose weight. I know that I can go out there and exercise. But what I'm actually doing, I don't actually want to change. I'm just lamenting the fact that I like the weight that I am at. I like the laziness level that I am at. I'm lamenting the fact that I don't actually want to change. And see, there was a, uh, in college ministry, I saw this a lot. I worked a lot with college students when I was at Hillsdale, and I worked closely with InterVarsity. And the amount of guys that would come to me, and they'd say something like, Chris, I, I really, really want to drink less. I really want to drink less, but it's so hard. Or, or they'd come to me and say, Chris, I really need to stop staying over at my girlfriend's house, but it's so hard. And not to sound trite, but I sat there and I looked at them and I said, well, there's an easy step that you can do to stop that. Just, just stop, don't drink as much, right? Like, don't drink as much. Stop going over, stop packing a bag and going over to your girlfriend's house late at night. If you actually want to do these things, there's easy steps that are going to accomplish it. But see, when they said, I need to change, I want to change, what they were saying was, I know that I'm not supposed to do this, but they were lamenting the fact that they liked it so much, that they liked and were comfortable in the lifestyle they were in so much. And this is one of the major reasons why I think 80% of New Year's resolutions fail. It's because when I say, I want to change this way, I want to quit doing this, I want to stop doing that sin, right, I want to stop doing this, that what I'm saying is I know that I'm supposed to be there, I know I'm supposed to be doing those things, but I'm just lamenting the fact that I don't actually want to change, that I like where I'm at, that I like that I'm stuck in the same habit circle over and over again, that I'm actually just lamenting the fact that, that, that I, I'm stuck there and, and I'm okay with that. I'm going to take this a step further because I think it goes deeper than that. See, when you fail resolutions over and over again to get better, that gets ingrained in your psyche, that gets ingrained in your identity, right? Because eventually you start thinking to yourself, well, maybe that's all that I am. Maybe I can't move past that. Maybe I can't get in shape, right? Maybe I'm just going to be that overweight, lazy person for forever, right? Maybe all I am is just a failure, a mistake, right? I can't actually move past that. Maybe I'm just this brokenness. Maybe I can't actually move past my failed resolutions. Right? Maybe that's all that I am. And so on this New Year's Day where we face a sense of hope, a sense of excitement about 2023, but perhaps some regrets, some guilt and shame from 2022, I want to turn to Scripture. And I want to look at Scripture and see what it has to say for us. And I want to turn to Luke 2. And not the Luke 2 that you think of, but, but, but because the Luke 2 that you probably think of is the, the, the nativity scene, right? But it's right afterwards. It's the lesser known passage, passage of Jesus being presented in the temple. If you're losing the Bibles back in the seat in front of you, it's page 1592. But Luke 2, and, and we see the, this, this picture of Jesus being presented in the temple. See, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus after 40 days, and they needed to sacrifice uh, in the temple in order to uh, redeem the firstborn. Um, so what ended up happening in Exodus was that God said all the firstborn were consecrated to him. And so the Israelites would have to go, they'd go to the temple and they'd sacrifice a lamb or, or pigeons or turtle doves in order to redeem the firstborn son. And this was to remind the Israelites of the Exodus. 
right, of when God brought them out and redeemed his people with his mighty hand. This was to remind the Israelites of what God had done for them in saving them so long ago. And so Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus and get ready to sacrifice. And they are met by an interesting man named Simeon. Now, Simeon was a man who was described as righteous and just, but he was told by the Holy Spirit that he wasn't going to die until he had seen the Messiah. He had seen the Lord's Christ. So when he's there, he's led by the Spirit to Jesus, and he makes two powerful proclamations. I actually want to start with the second one, which is in verses 34 to 35. I want to read that and read what he says the Christ is going to do. Verse 34 and 35 And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What's interesting about Simeon's proclamation is that this is what many of the Jews expected the Messiah to come and do. They were expecting him to come and to raise up the nation of Israel and to tear down all the enemies of Israel. They were expecting the the Messiah to come with this righteous judgment and condemnation for the enemies of God, right, and to establish God's throne forever. This was what they were expecting Jesus to do. And this is what Jesus did, but he did it in a kind of different way. See, actually what he ended up doing was his ministry, through his ministry and word, He revealed that a lot of people there, a lot of the the teachers of the law, the ones who were out there, he revealed that a lot of them who said they were serving God were actually serving themselves, what they wanted to do. He revealed the thoughts of their hearts by his ministry and by his actions that they were actually serving the God that they wanted rather than what God was actually doing in their midst. And so Jesus, through his ministry and actions, he reveals the thoughts of their heart, the thoughts that God had already known. And the, the chilling part of it is that it's the same God for us today. The same God that knows the thoughts of our heart. The same God that knows the brokenness and the mistakes of our heart. The, the, the sin that was there, the, the, the guilt and the shame that plagues us. This is the same God that knows all those times when we're desiring to go after sin and we're stuck in those ways, we're stuck in those old habits, that he knows all of that. He knows the thoughts of our heart. The shocking part, though, it's not that he, he, the shocking part is not that he knows, not that he knows the thoughts of our heart. The shocking part is that he still chose to come anyways. On that little night, a little town of Bethlehem, on that silent night, that he still chose to come amongst us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our guilt and our shame. He still chose to come down amongst us as a light for our brokenness. Take a look at what Simeon says in his first proclamation. That's going to be verse 29. Look at, look at that, what he says, this powerful proclamation of what Jesus was going to do. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That, that, that Jesus came Amongst us, that in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our shame, that Jesus still showed up. And he showed up 
prepared, not with condemnation and judgment like they were looking for, but he showed up prepared with grace, with mercy, to be a light in the midst of our darkness, this broken world. He came up, came prepared to sacrifice himself on the cross for you and for me. That because what God the Father said, was God the Father said, I don't want to see them by their brokenness. I don't want to see them by their guilt and shame. I don't want to see them. That's not what I want to see them as. That's not who they are. They're not their brokenness and shame. They're not their mistakes. They're not their guilt. And so he said, I want to see them as so much more. Because God the Father said, you were too valuable for him to lose. And so he took all of that brokenness. He took that guilt, that shame, that sin, and he laid it upon his son on the cross sacrificing himself to forgive your sins and not just offer your forgiveness of sins, the, the, the destruction of your guilt and shame, not to leave you with just a blank slate, but instead to call you something different, to give you a different title, a title of the child of God as a member, a precious member of the family of God. And think about that for a second. Think about how powerful that promise is. That God calls us into his kingdom, and he doesn't call us as, as a probationary member. Right? He doesn't call us as a visitor. He calls us as sons and daughters of God. That we have, out, we have been given the name that's placed upon him. That he said, you are not your guilt and your shame. You're not your brokenness. You are my child. And so, if you are here today, and you're faced with that brokenness and shame, that regret in the new year, you are more than that. You're more than your brokenness. You're more than your shame and your guilt. You're more than the mistake of the past that you think you could never outrun. You're more than the scars that sin leaves upon you. You're more than your pain and your hurt. You're more because God has called you more. God has called you his son or his daughter, a precious child of the king of kings. He's called you loved, forgiven, and redeemed by him. You are more than that. And nowhere is this seen more than in Revelation, in Revelation 21, where we see the fulfillment of Simeon's proclamation, where we see a new heaven and a new earth coming down, and God has chosen to dwell amongst his people, where he will dwell with you and with me. But there, there won't be brokenness. There won't be the hurt and the shame. And we see this beautiful picture of God wiping away the tears of our eyes. Wiping away the brokenness, the guilt, and the shame. All of that will be no more because God, our Father, has made it right for us. And so, on this New Year's Day, make the resolutions. Make the goals. Make the plans to make 2023 a great year. But, but do it from a different mindset. Do it from a mindset reminding yourself of who you are. That you're not the brokenness, the guilt, and the shame, but that you are loved, you are valued by God, you are redeemed by him, and you are a child of God. And this, I think, does two things. Number one, it allows us to operate off of who we actually are. Rather than operating out of a sense of brokenness and shame and guilt, where we beat ourselves up to try and force us to go forward to be better, Right? We remember that God has called us more, that no matter what the world says that we are, that God has called us his children, that we are redeemed and loved by him. But that's the base that we can start from, knowing that God values us. 
And that gives us so much more of a healthy base for motivation for goals than if we were trying to build, beat ourselves up from brokenness and shame. And the second thing, it reminds us that we're called to something. That God has invited us, has called us as his family into the mission and work of God. The mission of the kingdom of God into this giant plan of salvation history. That he's called us broken people into it to serve as his children. And so maybe this year we can add in rather than just a, how do I improve myself this year? We can, we can ask that question instead, what is God calling me to this year? What is God calling me to do this year? Where is God calling me to serve, to improve this year, to serve his kingdom this year? And, and as I close, I want to note that this is difficult still. Just because you have the motivation doesn't mean that it's going to get any easier. There's plenty of goals, plenty of things where we, I still fight and I still struggle against. But whenever I do, I'm reminded of, of the verse that I read many, many years ago in this building and on this stage. My confirmation verse that I, that I read for you all, Galatians 2.20. It's a verse that, that has stuck with me through many, many years and through the highs and the lows reminded me who I was even when I didn't feel it at all. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That I have been crucified with Christ. That all that brokenness, all that guilt and shame, that was put on the cross with him. That's not who I am anymore but that I, I am Christ's, that Christ is the one who lives in me. I am a redeemed, loved child of the King. And the life I now live, I live out of that faith, out of that hope of the Son of God who loved me, who redeemed me, who forgave me, and who calls me his own. You are more than the brokenness, the guilt, the shame. You are God's child, loved and redeemed by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you gave us a gift that was beyond our worth. That, that, that when we felt worthless, when we felt so broken and, and, and hurt, that you actually sent your son to redeem us and called us to your family. That, that instead of brokenness and guilt and shame that we were left with, we were left with the words loved, forgiven, redeemed, renewed by you. That we are your children called to something more. So, Lord, I ask that as we go into our New Year's, that, that we would actually go forth pursuing that. That we would ask ourselves the question, where are you calling us to? Where are you calling your children to go to, to serve, to improve in this new year? That we would look forward to this year uh, with, with, hopeful, with hope, hope-filled thoughts, but also know that you are guiding us, that you are leading us even when it doesn't seem like it. So now, Lord, I ask as, as, we, as we enter into a time of confession that we as we enter into this time where we confess those brokenness, those things in the past year and in the past weeks that, that we, have, we have failed in, that, that we, have, we have failed you in, Lord, that I ask that you would just uh, allow us to come before you humbly knowing that you do love us and, and you do hear us. Now we'll take a silent time for silent confession.
Lord, we come before you. You know the thoughts of our hearts. You know everything, the mistakes of our past in all areas. So, Lord, we ask forgiveness of our sins, Lord, for the sake of your son, Jesus, for the sake of him who died for us, who took upon himself the brokenness, the guilt, and the shame of all the sin that we have. Lord, all these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. God in his mercy has given his son Jesus to die for you, to die for you for his sake. He forgives your sin and takes upon himself the brokenness, the guilt, and the shame that is on that. As a called servant of the Lord, it's my joy to declare to you that your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.